Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Allison podcast episode is brought to you by you, the listeners. A big thank you to everyone that's contributed a dollar or more to my subscription-based funding platform at patreon.com slash oceanallison. And for those that haven't, visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this month's episode of Ocean Allison podcast. This episode's ocean advocate is Boyan Slot. Boyan is the founder and CEO of the Ocean Cleanup, using advanced technologies and the ocean's currents to rid the oceans of plastic. Hi, Boyan. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Very excited to have you on the show today. And listeners, to give you a little bit of background on how Boyan is joining me today on Ocean Allison Podcast, I recently attended an event in San Diego, California, where I um, met a number of the members of the Ocean Cleanup team. Unfortunately, Boyan wasn't there, but I was able to uh, have some great conversations with some members of the Ocean Cleanup team. And they actually revealed to me that they had been listening to my Ocean Allison podcast while they were in California. And so, uh, you know, we thought it was a great idea to have Boyan on the show to share the Ocean Cleanup's story and all that they've got going on. So, Boyan, I want to start out by, you know, starting at the beginning. Your viral TEDx video in 2012, you you shared your initial concept for cleaning up the oceans, the ocean cleanup, and uh, this was about five years ago now. You were 18 years old, and your, your presentation was titled, How the Oceans Can Clean Themselves, which is just a, an amazing title. For you, when you gave that presentation, I know that it wasn't until a few months later that it actually that video started to go viral and, and it started to gain the attention of others. What was it like for you when it did start to gain traction? What was that feeling like? Was it expected or unexpected? What what happened for you at that moment? So by that time, I actually was already um, working uh, on this for about a year. Uh, it was actually still uh, next to school. So I was still uh, doing aerospace engineering at the University of Delft. And actually, when it went viral, actually, I wasn't really happy about that because I was worried that because it was still an idea, uh, it wasn't really worked out, that people would see this, critics would come, and uh, uh, it would just burn out in, in a matter of days. It would be sort of this one-day fly thing. So actually, when it went viral, suddenly, I think within a matter of three days, I think it received about a thousand emails per day. It was immense amount of journalists approaching me, wanting interviews. And actually, I said no to all of those just because what I really wanted to do is to really focus on working out that initial idea and yeah, seeing whether it could actually be, be done, uh, which back then I certainly didn't know. But you know, in hindsight, actually, it was a very important moment because it did allow me to assemble the, the initial team. And it also allowed me to do the initial crowdfunding campaign and raise the first 90K to get started. So probably without it having gone viral, uh, I don't think we would have been able to, to get to, to where we are today. Uh, it was really the, impo the, the first important kick that got it started. But actually, when it happened, I wasn't really too happy about it. 
where did this initial concept stem from? I mean, was there an aha moment for you when you realized, oh, wow, we can use the ocean currents to clean up the ocean? Or, or what, what was kind of the process of coming up with this concept for you? So I've always been um, very passionate about technology and about making things and problem solving. But what I didn't have was a real problem to work on, uh, which changed when I was 16 years old. I went scuba diving in Greece and I looked around me and I just saw more plastic bags and fish. And I thought, well, why can't we clean this up? And, and that simple question kept circling around in my head for days and days and days. And at some point in time, I thought, well, people are proposing to sort of clean this up with boats and nets. But the thing is that the ocean is really quite big. So what if instead of going after the plastic, uh, we let the the plastic come to us? And I think the trigger was uh, this uh, ocean current animation that I I saw while doing some research on, on the Internet. And uh, I saw that this plastic was moving around. And I think uh, with that uh, animation, the, uh, this researcher said, well, here's another reason why you can't clean it up because plastic doesn't stay in one spot. So that would make it very complicated. And, and then I wondered, well, is that really a problem or could I also use that in my advantage? Why go after the plastic if the plastic can come to you? And of course, since then, literally every aspect of the concept has changed in terms of how we collect the plastic, how we concentrate the plastic, how we fix the structure in the ocean, going from something that's fixed to the seabed to something that's uh, that's really drifting. But that really fundamental point about using the, um, the forces of nature in our advantage instead of fighting the ocean, you're working with it, you know, that fundamental point still holds uh, to the present day because we haven't really been able to to find a way to refute that. But yeah, so that, that was sort of how, uh, how the idea got started. So you've been very successful in fundraising. You started in 2013 with you know, a very successful crowdfunding campaign, like you mentioned, um, because of that, the viral nature of, of your TEDx talk and many other factors. To date, the Ocean Cleanup has raised tens of millions of dollars, which to me, any conservation initiative you know nonprofit working to to make a better planet a a healthier ocean raising that much money is is amazing because we often don't see that type of fundraising in the conservation world and a quote that you have shared that i really appreciate and i'd love to get a little bit more insight about from from you is uh, only if we realize change is more important than money the money will come Can, can you share a little bit of insight behind that uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, my my view, I think, of fundraising has developed a lot over the past few years. But what I have come to learn is that there's really not a lack of uh, funding in the world. Uh, sometimes you feel the sense of competition between nonprofits uh, because they think it's a competition and they're all fighting for the same dollar and it's sort of this zero-sum game, finite-sized pie. I really hope the Ocean Cleanup is, a, is, is an example of that. That's really not the case. As long as you have a good idea uh, that is actionable, you show that you have the ability to execute, and yeah, you can actually show a path towards a solution. Because eventually, that's pretty important. Uh, you know, you shouldn't forget that yeah, if you're trying to solve a problem, you should actually work towards uh, a solution, right? To actually solving the problem. Yeah, I think funding shouldn't be your your main issue. It's and uh, so the way this has worked for us is that uh, it has really been a, sort of a three-part cycle, which we 
which I would describe as sort of this uh, this accelerating spiral staircase, uh, as it were, to uh, to get to where we are right now. So you have this cycle where you have a, uh, the first part of the cycle is you hit a milestone, or you you deliver, you you perform something. And with that results, you then communicate those results. And then through that communication, you gather the resources, you make use of that communication to gather the resources to get you to the next milestone, to get you to the next results. And so far, we've raised about 35 million, which should get us to the point that the first uh, ocean cleanup system is actually operational in the ocean and should be working. But of course, back in 2013, it was unthinkable to raise this type of money because it was just an idea. But basically, we we did that uh, feasibility work. We got a a general sense, well, you know, it's not as crazy as it sounds. Then we brought out those results. Then we communicated those results. And then through that communication, we then launched that 2.2 million crowdfunding campaign, which we then used to hit the next milestone, which was the reconnaissance of the garbage patch. And then when we did that, we communicated that and et cetera, et cetera. So as long as you uh, make progress, chances of uh, success keep increasing. Well, then you should be able to get you to the next to the next funding round. Uh, and that's, I think, another important point uh, sort of implicit to this is that it, it's sort of a pitfall for people at nonprofits, I think, that to always be fundraising. And I think, yes, you should always work on building relationships. But I think the, the whole idea is that uh, these funding rounds, actually the point that you go out and try and make, uh, try and close deals, those has to be very uh, discrete moments because otherwise you won't have the time and attention to actually get to the results and you need the results to actually be able to, to raise money. So, uh, yeah, and of course, right now we are in the execution cycle. So right now I'm not actively fundraising. It's really just about uh, hitting that milestone of next year, which is actually having that first system in the ocean. And then again, through communicating those results, we hope to raise uh, enough funding to then be able to fund the scale up to, to eventually have 60 clean up systems in the ocean. So, you know, in talking about this kind of spiral staircase methodology of taking action and then sharing the results to continue getting more funds after you've shown that you've gotten results, two really amazing steps to that spiral staircase, if we're using that analogy, has been um, research assessments that the ocean cleanup has executed. One was the mega expedition in 2015, and then the other was the aerial expedition in 2016 last year. Um, The mega expedition was like 30 ships going across the Pacific Ocean from Hawaii to California, assessing the plastics in the ocean. And then the aerial expedition was from, you know, airplanes up in the sky, assessing that, that same region for larger plastic pollution, like ghost nets and these big tangled messes of trash. Why has assessing the amount of ocean plastics been important to the overall success and vision of the ocean cleanup? Well, I think uh, to be really to able to, to solve a problem, uh, you really have to understand it in detail. And back in, uh, say, 2014, so a few years ago, we started with all this. There really were too many open questions, uh, one being well, what is the, the total amount of garbage out there, but also uh, how deep is this plastic? Because if, if it's not concentrated towards the surface, it's actually the concept would be in in trouble, right? Because it's really a a surface-oriented design that we we proposed. And another one is the size distribution of the debris. If it's mostly large things, 
it will require a different method of extracting the plastic from the surface than when it's primarily smaller debris. And of course, in terms of efficiency, how important is it to focus on the smaller debris versus the largest debris? So really understanding the whole characteristics of these garbage patches is really key to getting a good and efficient engineered design. Back then, I wished that we would have enough data for this in existing literature, but we didn't find that. We decided to to do uh, quite some research on this ourselves. So we, we literally spent millions of dollars to get an improved assessment of the garbage patch, uh, which is uh, currently under peer review, actually. So uh, it's finally coming to a close, but it was quite a quite a big project, of course. Uh, the whole component of all the vessels, the whole management of that, as well as uh, organizing this first uh, aerial reconnaissance mission of, of an ocean garbage patch. Uh, but uh, yeah, the data has, has certainly been uh, very surprising and uh, we very much look forward to sharing that to the world in early 2018. And so with all this research that you, you have of assessing the amount of plastic in the Great Pacific garbage patch, during that process you, you've assembled a team of over 60 people, super highly qualified scientists, engineers, you know, biologists, marketers, like you mentioned, is very important. And you've had a number of model testings and prototype deployments. With all that, with the prototypes, with the team that you've assembled, your upcoming operations is really kind of the culmination of all of the work so far. You're going to be deploying your first cleanup system that you're really trying to accomplish your goal of cleaning up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You're going to be deploying that this spring of 2018 off the coast of San Francisco, towing it out to its location and then and letting it go and seeing what happens. And hopefully it will be collecting ocean plastic. Can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of this deployment, what's to be expected and what this is all going to entail? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, the next 12 months are really going to be uh, crucial for us. It is the coming together of the years of preparation, the years of reconnaissance, testing, testing, and testing again. And um, so right now, we actually just started the uh, the, uh, the manufacturing of the components of this first system. So they're currently being made, soon to be shipped to the San Francisco Bay, uh, where it, the assembly is uh, scheduled to start in February which should indeed put us on track to, uh, to actually tow the system out to the garbage patch for the first time uh, around May of, of 2018. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, of course, going to be uh, quite a, an important moment because um, yeah, as long as we show it works, I'm very confident that the whole scale-up is, is going, to be, um, going to go well. For listeners that maybe have never seen one of your prototypes or seen a digital animation of this system that you're planning to deploy, can you kind of help listeners to visualize that system? Like, what is it? Yeah, sure. So the way the system works is that it's uh, sort of a really long U-shaped floating barrier that instead of going after the plastic, it lets the plastic come to us. So the way it works is that at the end of this U-shaped barrier, we uh, attach lines connecting to a, uh, a sea anchor uh, that's underwater at a depth of around 1,500 feet, uh, where the, the ocean current is much slower than at the surface, which means that this anchor is creating drag just enough so that at the surface, this big U-shaped barrier is moving slower than the plastic. That way, plastic is able to accumulate in front of this, um, this barrier. And because this barrier is in a uh, U-shape, the plastic automatically gets transported towards the center 
where we then store it before uh, shipping it uh, to land every few months. And the idea is that we have a fleet of around 60 of these cleanup systems, uh, which jointly should be able to clean up around half this Great Pacific Garbage Patch every five years. And and that fleet of 60 will come, obviously, once this first system is, is proven to work, correct? Yeah, so in terms of steps, uh, the first thing that, that is going to happen is that we take the system out to just 200 nautical miles. Uh, so it's really uh, a final rehearsal scheduled for uh, Q2 of, uh, of next year. Because the thing is, the system is a sort of a combination of several hundred individual innovations. So... Uh, even if you think about the maritime law, that there has never been an unmanned floating structure of this scale floating in international waters. So, so the types of legislation and the flag state related matters, well, that's completely new. And that's just a, a very small detail. So on the technical side, there's hundreds of these kinds of new problems. And because it's also new, there, there will definitely be unknown unknowns, that we, like risks that we can't think of right now but uh, may have a, a big effect. So that's why we really want to do this final rehearsal to see, well, does the system behave well? Uh, what's the interaction between the, the system and the plastic, et cetera, et cetera, to really get more uh, uh, certainty. Because the thing is, the garbage patch, we're talking about more than a thousand nautical miles offshore. So in case something happens there or in case uh, yeah, we, we forgot about something, uh, you know, then, of course, it's pretty expensive to take it back and make adjustments and, and redeploy it again. So that's sort of a, a de-risking step. Then uh, we should go and take that first system out to the garbage patch. And then uh, that's a year-long trial. Uh, and if that goes well, after that, you know, in parallel, we continue to improve the design. Uh, and with that improved design, we should then be able to make many copies and really get to a, a full-scale fleet of systems around uh, the year 2020. And you mentioned running into problems that you haven't even maybe thought of, or you, you know, your team won't even know to expect until you actually deploy these systems. What are some of your main concerns, like maybe things that you think might present themselves as issues, but you really can't know until you put it out there? Yeah, I mean, that's very hard. Um, right now, the team is very confident that every risk that we could possibly think of has been uh, addressed at this point in time. Uh, we've done external reviews, engineering consultancy companies, and have actually redone all of the structural calculations, all of the hydrodynamic calculations uh, with you know, even like different software packages, just to make sure that even like the, the code of the software um, doesn't have an influence on, on, on our results. And you know, those assessments have all been very positive. So, so really right now, there is very little we can uh, mention to say, well, you know, this is, you know, if there would be something that I could say, well, this is something I'm really worried about, then we, I don't think we've done our, our work well. But of course, the, the, the big questions are the, the structural performance, can it really Aren't there any components that are going to fail, uh, like the electronics or the, um, you know, the connections during uh, a, a very extreme storm? Until what particle size can we actually capture in the whole interaction with the plastic? Yeah, how well does it turn around in case the direction of the current uh, reverses? How well is it able to, re to return? Uh, so there's this whole testing program that we have to walk through and simply a checklist and uh, various conditions and durations. But it's, it's very hard to say right now, like this is a risk that, that we're going to face. 
one concern that I've heard people say, uh, you know, in response to the ocean cleanup, and and of course it's it's somewhat of a ridiculous statement, but I think it's important to address. Um, and and in talking with some of your ocean cleanup team members, you know, some people might say, oh well, then we'll just have a this is as our maid service of the ocean, and people can can just continue to use a ton of plastic and have it flow into the ocean, and you know these sorts of things. And I, I thought it, found it very interesting in talking with your team members that although shutting off the plastic tap, so to speak, isn't a main goal of the ocean cleanup, the 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 goal of the ocean cleanup is to clean up the oceans and the plastic that's already there. It's definitely something that is always in the, in the minds of those at the ocean cleanup is, is not to increase the problem. Uh, would you say that's correct? Yeah, I mean, to, to really solve this problem, two things need to happen. Uh, on one side, we have to deal with the, the future inflow of debris. So yeah, we have to stop the plastic at its source. And on the other side, we have to deal with the legacy, so the future and the past. So the, the legacy being all that plastic that is already floating out there and uh, really doesn't go away by itself and also gets more harmful over time because due to UV light, the plastic breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces. And the smaller it gets, the, the higher the chance of ingestion with all these organisms out there. So I think really uh, uh, an important point to make is that it's not either or, I think both need to happen and actually I think both can very much complement each other. If you only think about the the awareness factor, for example, uh, the fact that hopefully next year there will be the first load of plastic, this first mountain of plastic laying on a deck uh, on this, this support vessel uh, that we'll be taking into the, the port of San Francisco. Yeah, only that visual image I think will have such a big effect because the whole Great Pacific Garbage Patch, if you Google it, you can't find a photo of it. Right? It's it's a very dispersed thing. Uh, it's yeah. an area 1.6 million square kilometers. So it's not like there's an island of plastic. But of course, when we take it out, then suddenly it becomes visual. And I hope that will make people question, like, well, maybe we should take better care of, of our plastic. So I think that's one important thing. And also... The whole idea, the whole message of saying, well, we can't clean it up, so the best thing we can do is not make it worse. Uh, I find that a very depressing message. Like Everyone wants the future to be better than the present. So, yes, I think that the fact that we are cleaning it up and that we can actually show there is a pathway to to having clean oceans again. I think that can be a motivation for the prevention side as well, because that means that the future can actually be better uh, than the present. And if, if only we also turn off the tap, then actually we, the oceans can be go back to where they were maybe in the, the 50s or 60s. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that, like you mentioned, the awareness, while you're not actively trying to stop this, you know, shutting off the taps, so to speak, the awareness that the ocean cleanup is bringing to the global masses, just that there is so much plastic in the ocean, I think is really, really powerful. And again, like, like you said, they go hand in hand. So I want to end this with asking you, I know you've mentioned it a little bit throughout our conversation, you know, scaling up to, to 60 of these cleaning systems in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, even beyond that. And I know we're getting out there in the time frame. What is your ultimate goal? You know, as the founder and CEO of the Ocean Cleanup, what is your ultimate goal for the Ocean Cleanup? 
So the Ocean Cleanup is really a, a technology provider. That's what we do. And that's, I think, what we're, we're good at. So what I hope is that by deploying these technologies to really clean the garbage patch, we can actually reduce the concentration of plastic in those garbage patches by 90% by the year 2040. So in a bit, of, a bit more than 20 years, we should be able to get an order of magnitude reduction in the amount of plastic floating out there. So that's one. And then secondly, I hope that eventually we'll be able to develop spin-off systems to also intercept plastic closer to the source, to also reduce the influx of new plastic, thereby allowing it to, to stay at this, uh, this low level for, for a very long uh, amount of time. And, and then you know, maybe zooming out even more, you know, what I hope is that uh, the ocean cleanup can be, uh, you know, can be a symbol of how we use technology and entrepreneurship to actually solve a problem. Like it could be a, uh, a blueprint in a way of you know, how you can uh, actually uh, scale up to, to a scale that, that kind of matches the problem. Yeah, and I hope that after the plastic pollution, the ocean plastic pollution issue, uh, I can continue to apply this methodology to to different problems uh, other than, than ocean plastic. For listeners, if you've been inspired by what Boyan is doing with the ocean cleanup and what we've talked about today on the podcast, you can connect with the ocean cleanup by following them on social media. They are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the ocean cleanup. And you can also visit the ocean cleanup website at theoceancleanup.com to uh, learn more about all that we've talked about today, about the research expeditions they've done, about their prototypes, about the system they're planning to deploy this spring off of the coast of California, all the details so you can get more information there. So, Boyan, I want to thank you so much for all the positive change that you're creating for the ocean and, and the world. And I again, I, I very much appreciate the awareness that you're bringing with with all that you're doing with the ocean cleanup and your passion and your focus to solve this really large global issue, but to uh, do it in a really, really unique and interesting way. So thank you, Boyan, for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise, and thank you for the invitation. You just heard Boyan Slot, founder and CEO of the Ocean Cleanup, using advanced technologies and the ocean's currents to rid the oceans of plastic. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com. And tune in to next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.